The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum. The theme was relationships, and the Relational Discipleship Network hosted a track called Relational Disciple Shift, How to Shift Your Church and Culture. That's where today's episode was recorded. And we've got a free giveaway that you can download by Jim Putman, who is one of the founders of the Relational Discipleship Network. He and his team have helped train thousands of pastors to make disciples in America and around the world. And he's released for our audience a primer for one of his books called The Death of Discipleship. In this book, Jim with his co-author describes the dynamics of pride and humility in discipleship and what godly submission looks like. You can download this for free by going to discipleship.org slash relational. That's discipleship.org slash relational. Now here's today's track session from the Relational Discipleship Network. Welcome to this session. This is creating a disciple-making environment. We're going to focus on spiritual maturity. What is it and how do you define it? My name is Luke Yetter. I'm the director of our network, the Relational Discipleship Network. I'm also a uh, pastor at Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho. So on your table, you're going to have a a couple cards. This is a blank card. The reason we put these on there is this this is going to be our format. So I'm gonna, we're going to have three speakers. Jim Putman's going to go first, then Brandon Gindin, and then Bob Reed. We're going to have a Q&A session. The Q&A session, we're going to answer whatever questions you have. So we're going to kind of call it rapid fire Q&A. So what I want you to be doing is be thinking about what questions do you have on this topic. Write them down. We'll collect these. And then we're going to spend 20 minutes uh, answering your questions. So that's why these are on your table. So you can fill them out now, whatever question you might have, or throughout the session. All right. So here's what I want to ask you. How long have some of you guys been in ministry? 43. First year. First year. Love it. Love it. The reason I'm asking this question is I want to describe maybe what it was like when you first started out in ministry. And uh, I just want to put some words to maybe where you were at back then. (laughs) Some of them might be a little bit longer than others, right? Um, So when you first went into ministry, when we, when you first went into ministry, it was wanting to be all about furthering God's kingdom, right? Passionate, reach the lost, make a kingdom impact, make a kingdom difference, correct? Yes. Right? Now maybe, maybe you're in this place now. Maybe as time has went on, years have went on, maybe it hasn't quite worked out exactly that way. Maybe you're not quite in that place now. Maybe you're in this place right now. Maybe you've been been doing ministry for many, many years, okay? Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're a little worn down. Maybe your relationship with Jesus has moved from this deep, intimate relationship to maybe one of just being professional. Maybe it's became the grind for you. Maybe it's just a job now. And it's about Sunday and programming. And, and, but you know, deep, deep in your heart, you know, absolutely know there's more. You know there is more. And so one of the reasons maybe you're in this session is you're wanting to seek out something different. You want to resonate with something. 
And so for me, that's one of the reasons that I'm passionate about this particular topic. When we think of creating a disciple-making culture, we're focusing on spiritual maturity. My wife and I, early on, we did not know the Lord. We were, I was in my mid-30s. I'd never been to a church before. So one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this particular topic of making disciples and creating a disciple-making culture is we went to a couple churches that you could tell they were worn out. They were just focused on Sunday. And for us, it was huge because our marriage wasn't working. When we went to these two first couple churches, we just experienced Sunday. The primary focus was Sunday, start to finish. We happened to go to Real Life Ministries, a little church in North Idaho. And there was all the difference in the world. That particular church took the, Jesus of, the, the, the teachings of Jesus plus the methods of Jesus and focused on creating a disciple-making culture. I didn't even know what any of those words were. I was lost, hurting, but there was a couple there, just a volunteer couple, that chose to invest into us. They saw their role as a disciple and a disciple-maker of Jesus. They had been raised up in that culture. They invested in my wife and I. They led us to the Lord. They continued to walk beside us. They didn't just leave us at the baptismal. And so I got to experience what it's like to come to know the Lord and experience receiving his Holy Spirit and being filled with his spirit and being on, on his mission. I didn't know any of that existed. I came out of the business world. Well, for me personally, I did really well in the business side of things. I retired early. I climbed this huge ladder. I come to find out I was on the wrong wall. I was in the wrong whole entire house. I didn't know the kingdom even existed. I'd never been to church before. So I'm so thankful that a church in Pulse Falls, Idaho, Real Life Ministries, led by Jim, they chose to create a culture. Not perfectly. It's not perfectly. But man, they chose to create a culture that was about disciple making. And it accepted people like me and gave me a place to play. So I not only did I come to know the Lord, I became super passionate about furthering his kingdom. I got to be, and we, we get to be used by God to further his kingdom, to make a difference in, their, in our communities. And for me, that is awesome. So I get excited about changing legacies, changing generations. And so for me, when churches want to go from just about Sunday to wanting to make disciples and they want to figure this out, I'm hoping that you'll have a strong and deep conviction to make disciples in and through relationship. And that's what we're going to be spending some time on throughout these next five sessions. So we're going to spend two days on five major topics. So the first one is going to be spirituality, spiritual maturity. And uh, what, is, what is it and how do you define it? And the second session this evening is going to be moving from player to coach. Some of you guys are experiencing a lot of burnout, and this would be a huge piece for you because how do you move from being an all-star player, I mean, just really trying to do everything really well, to maybe raising up and developing other people to do it. The third session, Christ-like environments. That's huge. That is a huge piece. What does it look like to create these relational environments? You know, what's, what's, what's in there? How much is teaching? How much is relationship? How much is programmed? How much is about the curriculum? How much is all these questions we're going to answer as many as we can? The uh, reproducible disciple-making process, that's the fourth session. What does it look like? What did Jesus do with his disciples? What's, what's the disciple-maker part? What's the disciple part? And what is God's part? We're going to spend time on breaking down the disciple-making process. The last one, Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Sunday. Where does Sunday fit into a disciple-making culture? And there's, there's, there's seven days in the week. How does, how does it work? How does Sunday fit into that? So those are going to be our five sessions that we're going to focus on. All right, so far so good? Yeah. yeah? Okay. 
So here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to have Jim Putman come up here, if you would, Jim. And here's what's cool. What I love about Jim is uh, uh, Jim and I, he, he, he gave me a place to play on his staff. So I went from a uh, key, uh, just didn't know the Lord, come to know the Lord, serving, volunteering. A couple years later, he gives me places to play. He's kind of scouting and recruiting me. Then gives me a place to play on his staff. I end up on his executive team. And for the last 11 years, I've been one of the pastors there at Real Life Ministries. And so I'm really thankful, Jim, that you gave me a place to play. And uh, one of the things that we did is uh, we started working with churches. They came to go, man, how's real life growing so fast? So we started working with churches, and we started investing in some churches. We asked those churches to start investing in other churches, and that kind of became our network. So we formed a network, the Relational Disciple Network, Discipleship Network. That's churches that want to walk out his teachings and his methods, and they're willing to help other churches. So we're stronger together. And so each church that's going to speak up here from, from Jim to, to Brandon and to Bob, they're all in our network, and they're passionate about coaching other churches. So Jim, uh, what I love about Jim is Jim's written a variety of books, as you know. In fact, if you're interested, turn to this page. If you're interested in any of the books, it's close to the last page, 14 or 15. There's a variety of books there. Um, Jim, you've authored several of them. Uh, you have a heart to see disciples. You have a heart to see the church create a disciple-making environment. And so Jim, uh, thanks, man. Appreciate you being here. Great job, Luke. Thank you. Um, hi. How many of you were impressed by Shadonke? Uh, I came away from that going, sometimes I focus on uh, the methods of Jesus, and I'm, I'm assuming that people are abiding in Christ, because if you're not abiding in Christ, you don't really care about the methods. And even if you have the methods, if you're not abiding in Christ, the methods don't work. Because what fuels the methods is, is Jesus, his work, his, you know. And so I was deeply convicted to, to not assume certain things and just bypass the source, abiding in Christ, that produces a changed heart, hearing from God, uh, the gas, so to speak, for the car, you know. Uh, who, if you have a car but you have no gas, it goes nowhere. So I'm not, I, I don't want to assume that because it's too important, right? Well, here's what we're going to do today. Um, I, you see those, those five... Uh, Sessions. Let me explain to you how it works. Let me give you a big picture real quick. First of all, uh, if, if we're going to make disciples, we're, we're, I'm assuming a couple of things. I'm assuming that you agree that we're called to make disciples, not converts, and that God's idea was the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is God's idea. So when Jesus said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, go out into the world, he was telling them to go build the church Jesus had told them to build, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the, the disciples, which was the church. Now, the church over the years has become about buildings and something you attend rather than something you are, and, and it's gotten off gear or off course. But I'm assuming that you understand the church is God's idea. The church's purpose is to make disciples that make disciples, reach the world. It's not about gathering people and making them comfortable. It's, a, it's, about, it's not about entertaining them. You're the paid player and they're the, the spectators. It's about you being the church. As a leader of church, your job is to equip the saints. Ephesians chapter 4, 11, four works of service. You're a coach. You're not a player. You play, but you're, not, you're a coach. You're about equipping. You're about creating a culture. Um, but... Um, 
having made all those assumptions, which again, that's assuming a lot. Also assuming that you know that if you're not abiding in Christ, it's just a myth. It's just a nice idea. So having said all that, when we're talking about creating a disciple-making culture, we have to go, okay, our job isn't just to make disciples, it's to make mature disciples, to present everyone mature and complete in Christ Jesus, correct? Mature disciples. So we've got to have the right destination. So this first group, this first um, uh, thing I'm going to talk about in just a minute is about what is the right destination? What is a mature disciple of Jesus Christ? Okay, so the second thing that I, I want to, and, and I kind of do it in a little bit reverse order. I mean, I'm going to go two, three, four, five as we go through this, but I actually start with when you get saved, you're invited into a vehicle called relationship. Right? I'm going to assume that we understand we're told to go into the world and make disciples, not converts. We're to, to baptize them and to teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And I'm going to assume that that teaching environment is not what we've made it, a classroom. Jesus didn't say go start classrooms. He said go invite, just as what I did with you, you go do with others. What did he do? He said come and be with me. Come and follow me, but come and be with me and I'll make you fishers of men. It's a, Jesus had 12 disciples. It's a relational environment. We're going to talk about that. So, when you got saved, and most of you didn't have this happen, you were not invited into a relationship, you were invited to a service. Which is why it's hard for me to go, go make disciples when you were not discipled, most likely. You were educated, there was a transfer of information, but you weren't actually discipled the way Jesus was discipled, so it's hard for you to go do something that you haven't seen or ever been a part of. And by the way, we, we, we train pastors, thousands of pastors, all around the world, and that is a common problem. They, they either weren't disciples. Once we I always go, were you disciple? They go, yes. I say, what did that look like? It's usually a Bible college. It's a class. It's a whatever. And then I define the way, I, I say, you can't divorce the teachings of Jesus from the methods of Jesus and get the results of Jesus. Jesus, when he said, go make disciples, he didn't say, go do it any way you want. What I did with you, you go do with somebody else. When I describe what was done with them, and then I go, now, were you discipled? And how many people do you think were actually discipled? Hardly anybody. That's the problem. They know how to go start a class or a weekend service thinking they're making disciples, but that's not how Jesus made disciples. How Jesus made disciples, they, that never happened for them. So they have a hard time reproducing what they've never seen or experienced. You were supposed to be invited into a relationship, a discipleship relationship, and you're supposed to have an intentional leader. That's where the players and the coaches come from. Do you understand what I'm saying? So session number one is uh, we want to define spiritual maturity. Number two, we need an intentional leader, a, a coach, uh, someone to lead us. The vehicle is relationship. The roadmap is this intentional process that people go through to maturity. And the problem is, most people, this has been misdefined. This never happened. They never had an intentional leader who actually discipled them personally the way Jesus did it. There might have been somebody who was intentional, but it was much more like come to a class, and if you get the right answers on the quiz, you're mature. And there was no step-by-step -step process. There was just, here's a Bible, come to church, and you'll kind of figure it out. Which is why that which is unintentional is unreproducible. 
So what I'm going to do through this session is I'm going to walk through a process that's in many of the books we've talked about, Real Life Discipleship. There's a Real Life Discipleship Leader's Manual that's being used all around the world that walks people through the answers to some of these things. But here's what I want to do. I just kind of want you to understand what we're going to be doing in the next few days. And then, then what, does, what purpose, if, if discipleship is a relational process, then why do we do Sunday? How does Sunday fit into it all? Make sense to you? So session one, we're going to deal with this. Session two, we're going to deal with the driver, intentional leader. Session three, the relational environment, the vehicle by which we get. Then we're going to deal with the, the, the process. And then we're going to deal with where does Sunday morning fit into all that. Make sense to you? Okay, let's talk about spiritual maturity for a minute. Um, here, here's the problem. Um, first of all, uh, I think Christianity as a whole, somewhere along the way, and we can go back and go through the history of this, somewhere along the way has come to misdefine what, what mature disciples are supposed to look like. And because they have misdefined it, um, we lead people to the wrong place. We, we, and I think pastors can do that as well. What is a spiritually mature person? Now, let me just give you some clarifications. The only perfectly mature person is Jesus Christ. Would you agree? None of us have ever attained perfect spiritual maturity. That's why we rely on Jesus to have done it for us. But he's changing us. Right? So the question is, what is a spiritually mature person? And so not only am I, do I need to define that, but if I'm a leader, I'm trying to create a, a, a culture in our church where it's understood by everybody what we're trying to do. Because we're, we're, we're a house divided against itself can't stand. If we don't have common language and a common direction, then we do, we're not a team. It doesn't matter how talented we are. You cannot win with, with talented people if they don't play well together on a team. Which is why the Bible talks about, you know, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul said, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Right? This concept of unity moving forward, because, again, house divided can't stand. Tower of Babel, they were super talented, they could do anything. God looked down and said, these guys are going to be able to do anything. One thing changed, and they couldn't finish the tower. What was the one thing? Language. If we're going to have a culture that's unified going in direction, we have to have some common definitions. It's like in football. If you call a play and nobody understands the play the same way or understands their role when you get to the line of scrimmage, you lose. Most churches, if I were to ask this question, and again, we train churches all around the world. We, 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 a lot of times we'll have guys that come from the same church and I'll say, everybody on that table without talking to each other, write down your definition of spiritual maturity. They write it down. How often do you think they have the same answer on the same team? One time in 20 years. So they all think they're, they're, make, they're making disciples. Well, if they think they're making disciples, if they think that's their job. And they're not even defining it the same way. How is that reproducible? How does that create unity? How does that create team? I could actually think I'm winning and you actually think I'm failing and we're on the same team. Is there a possibility for a division in that? All right. So we, we define it, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. We say it this way. In the invitation is the definition. Jesus said to his disciples, or to, who became his disciples, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There is the invitation. We say there's the definition. 
If you're going to be my disciple, you're going to follow me. A disciple of Jesus is following Jesus. He's, they've surrendered. Jesus' identity is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He says, come and follow me. If you won't follow Jesus, you're not his disciple. If you won't obey him and let him lead your life, you're not his disciple. Right? Number two, he says, come and follow me and I will make you. We, that speaks of process. I'm going to take you as you are, but you're going to go through a process. I'm going to change you. So a disciple of Jesus is following Jesus and he's being changed by Jesus. Right? But changed into what? Well, here's where the rub is. Okay? I think that many Christians, they want people to know the word and follow the rules. And they want people to actually move to, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're actually going to be a part of the mission of God. You're going to use your gifts and abilities for God. And they think that's a mature disciple. You know the word and you follow. You're obedient to the rules. And you're a part of the mission. If you're really mature, you're a part of the mission. You go out and... And that's true. That's a part of spiritual maturity. A mature believer is following Jesus and being changed. And they're following, they're following the rules. And they're also committed to the mission of Jesus. By the way, if you're not a fisher of men, if you're not committed to the mission of Jesus, and you don't intend on being, that means you're not following him, and it means you're not a disciple of Jesus. Would you agree with that? At least you're not a mature disciple of Jesus. If you've rejected that, then you're not a disciple. If you're learning to do that, you can be a more immature disciple. But if you're like, I'm not going to be committed to the mission of Jesus. I mean, I got my own mission. He's supposed to be committed to mine. It means you never made Jesus your Lord. You just want to use Jesus because you're hoping he'll bless your mission. Right? So a, a disciple of Jesus is following Jesus and he's committed to the mission of Jesus. But this changed by Jesus changed. But what is that about? Changed into what? See, the early church... Uh, and, and even the Pharisees completely misunderstood. That's why Jesus said, you strain out the gnat, you swallow the camel. What is a spiritually mature person? Jesus once asked, what is the greatest commandment? Do you remember what he said? Bobby talked about it. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, to love your neighbors yourself. And a lot of times we stop right there. But we miss what Jesus said next, which is super important. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now, I want you to get this. Jesus just said everything in the Old Testament is summed up in love God and love others. The whole Ten Commandments are all about promoting and protecting love. A relationship with God. Don't have any other gods before me. Spend time with me on the Sabbath. It's about relationship. Don't steal or commit adultery. That's not showing love for someone. That's taking, coveting what they have. That's not about love. The entirety of the scripture is summed up in relationship, which makes total sense. God is a relational God. One God, three persons. He's never been lonely. He's been in relationship for all of eternity. And he created us to be in relationship with him. He wanted to walk with us. But some people go, yeah, me and God. No, no, no. Not even God thinks he's enough for you. You go, what? Well, God said it is good. It is good. It is good. Then he said something was not good. What was not good in his creation? For man to be alone. Was man alone? No. He was in relationship with God. 
God knows how he made us. He made us to be in relationship with him and to be in relationship with other people. That's how he made us. But because of sin, it was lost. Relationship was broken. Broken with God, which resulted in a brokenness with each other. And the entirety of scripture is about God pursuing reconciliation. Reconciliation is a relational word. He is a reconciler. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation with God and with one another. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus said all the law and the prophets are summed up in loving God, loving others. And in the end, there's going to be a new heaven and earth where us and God are in perfect relationship again and us and each other, we're going to be in perfect, no more sinful nature, no more devil. No, he's going to restore all things to perfection the way it was intended to be. That's the whole story. That's the big narrative. A relational God. When he gives us the Holy Spirit, that's all relational fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. For who? Joy. Peace with who? Patience towards who? Kindness towards who? As you, as you go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, as you walk in the light, as he is in the light, as you walk with him, then the result, you have what? Fellowship. With, as you reconnect here and the Holy Spirit comes here, he's reconnecting us here so we can have relationship here. And again, the church has missed all, all of this. Maturity has become, the bullseye has become, I know the word. I'm going to transfer information. You know all the stories. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. You get your Bible college degree. You've got all this stuff. And you're even skilled. You know how to lead music. You know how to preach. You know how to do whatever. But we've missed the point that all of it's summed up in relationship. We're known. We're supposed to, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples by your Bible college knowledge. <laughs> by your following the rules. See, 1 first, first Corinthians is written to a group of people that were believers that thought they were mature because they all had this great teaching and all these gifts and all this stuff. But Paul says, you're infants because there's divisions among you. And he goes on in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, you can know all mysteries and speak in the tongues of angels. What you know, how gifted you are. But if you have not love, you're what? You can offer your body to the flames. You can die a martyr. You can sell all your possessions and give to the poor, but if you have not love, why is he saying that? Well, because you can sell your possessions and give to the poor so that people will think you're amazing. Just like the Pharisees, here's my money, blow the trumpet. Why were they actually doing it? Self-love. You can follow the rules so people will go, wow, what a spiritual guy. Self-love. Or you can follow the rules because you think you have to earn your salvation because you're fair. You got to make up for what you did in the past. You completely misunderstood the gospel, but it looks right. Paul went on to say, "You can do all this stuff. If you have not love. You're nothing. Knowledge puffs up. Love what? Okay. So here's my point. The destination we're trying to shoot for." is a love for God and a love for others that changes. So I'm following Jesus. Why am I following him? Well, because he first loved me. When I know who he is, he's the son of the living God, and he died for me. You know, go to Romans chapter 12, important passage, one of my favorite ones. He says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as what? Right? 
And then he goes on to say, don't be conformed anymore, but be transformed, right? We oftentimes go, got to conform, or not conform, but be transformed. We go, but notice what he says first. Why are we doing this? In view of what he's already done for us, in view of his mercy, we offer. Why are we doing it? Why am I following Jesus? He came for me. He took me where I am. He loves me. Now I'm going to obey what he says because of who he is and what he did. And he's going to transform me. And even the reason I'm sharing Christ is because the, the most love I can show the father is to bless him by pointing one of his lost kids home. I had a son who was in a homeless shelter. He's a drug addict. And there was a guy who went and met with my son every single week. Well, I didn't know he was doing it. My son didn't tell me until he came out of that. Now he's a youth minister. He's preaching this weekend at, our, at one of our campuses. But he, he was a drug addict. And my, dad, my son said, hey, dad, this guy kept coming down and having coffee with me. I said, well, what did he, who was he? He goes, is this pastor? And I go, well, why did he come down? He was that his church was working the homeless shelter. He found out I was your son. So he just came down and took me to lunch every week. I called the guy up. I go, thank you for that. Why did you do that? He goes, well, I read one of your books. I went to one of the conferences. I, our church works down there. I, I saw his name. I asked him if he was your son. And, and I just started going down there. And just because what you did meant something to me. And I just wanted to thank you. I go, well, usually when you say thank you to somebody, you call him on the phone and you say thank you or you send him a letter. You didn't tell me anything. You didn't say anything to me. But I want you to know, there's nothing more you could have done for me in my life than to, to, to bless my son and point him home. It's the same way. When you witness to somebody about Jesus, there's nothing more you can do for the father's heart than to point one of his face. You want to bless the father. You want to thank the father. You don't do it to earn anything. You don't do it because you're supposed to. When you understand the heart of the father and you see a lost kid and you know he loves that kid, you love him because he, because he loves him. And you're like, well, you must see something in that guy, God, that I don't see, but you love him. And I want to honor you. See, even the, the, the reaching the world, even making disciples is because of a heart in view of God's mercy. As you start to understand everything you're doing, it's about love, which is why, by the way, the whole world needs love. They were built for it, but they can't find it. And the purpose of the church was to be this place where God, God changed the hearts of people so that people could see, oh, that's what God can do. I went in there because I can't find any of that out here. But when the church is not discipled and it doesn't look like that, it misrepresents Jesus. We want to make disciples, we better have the right destination. And if you have just a knowledge transfer or put on it and check a box, all that stuff, you've completely missed what discipleship is really all about. All right, come on up, Luke. Love you, Jim. Thank you. Can we give Jim a round of applause? Thank you, Jim. Love your heart. Love your heart. What I, what I love about Jim is coming on staff is uh, one of the things that, uh, be, being at Real Life and being on staff, we get a lot of questions of how do you raise up, where do you get all your great leaders? You know, well, we, when you have a philosophy of uh, dis discipling people, we disciple everybody and your leaders emerge. So it's not just going after one gift mix. You disciple everybody and those leaders emerge. What I loved about Jim is that as I was uh, volunteering, when I came on staff, I caused quite a bit of conflict 
Could you imagine a retired CEO now thinking he knows it all and he's on staff? <laughs> Could you imagine? What I love about Jim is he held the line on what is spiritual maturity, and he challenged me to look at what is spiritual maturity. Where does relationship come into play, Luke? And where does the value that God is placing on relationship, and where are you putting it, Luke? And how good are you at relationship and working out conflict? And so I just say thanks, Jim, for uh, giving me a place to play and challenging me on that. Love it. Love it. All right. The next uh, person I'm going to speak on this topic, Brandon Gindin. What I love about Brandon Gindin is he was on staff at Real Life Ministries in Pulse Falls, Idaho. He was uh, one of our executive pastors. Then he helped oversee our small groups. Then he felt called to go plant a church down in Houston. And so his church plant is three years old. Now, I say three years old, meaning he was on the ground for a year before they start services. And so what I love about Brandon's perspective is he's coming from uh, a church planter perspective, so to speak. But how does maturity play out? And so what I love is Brandon also authored a few books. One of them is a Real Life Discipleship in the Manual. Uh, real life, it's an experiential uh, workbook. That's it, workbook, along with other books. So Brandon, uh, thanks for being here. Take it away, man. Thanks, Luke. Good afternoon. I, uh, I too, much like Luke, um, I actually, I did not grow up in the church and uh, came to the Lord in college and then met Jim as real life was first being planted and was working in the secular world. And Jim and Aaron Couch and several guys just poured a ton into me and uh, discipled me and, and God's used that since. I was our first small groups leader at real life way back when we were 250 people and got to be a part of that and watch uh, God do a miracle and grow uh, that ministry toward it is today. Um, God called me in 2013 to move to, to Texas, so I became a missionary from northern Idaho uh, to Texas, where nothing is, I mean, it's crazy. Everything is different. Um, so it's been a fun time for my wife and I in planting a church. One of the things that always sticks out about me or with me for Jim and I in our relationship is over the years we've been able to hunt together, fish together, we give each other a hard time. We've been through the ups and downs, the wars, the battles together. And I'll never forget this one time, Jim and I were at a conference and we were attending the conference and we were uh, in this breakout session and they broke us out into really small groups, like groups of eight and 10. And Jim and I were sitting there next to each other and we were talking about this elk hunting trip we were going on and we're kind of teasing each other and yucking it up. And the guy that was gonna facilitate our group, he was sitting there looking at us and I remember he had this funny look on his face and it, like he was trying to figure us out. And the more that we went on and kind of talking and then, and then we went into a group, he kind of kept looking at us like, you guys are weird. And, and we get towards the end of this small group and, and Jim and I are kind of sharing about things going on in our life and, and this guy's in tears. And Jim, I remember he reached over, he put his kind of hand on his knee and he goes, man, he goes, are you okay? And he goes, I have no one on my staff that I have a relationship like with that, that the two of you have. He's supposed to be our facilitator. And he, and he goes, I have no idea how I got so alone. And, and I put that out there today for you to challenge each of you before we go any further into the conference to stop for a moment and take off your I'm a senior pastor hat, your I'm a this person in the church, your badge, whatever it is that you kind of labels, titles who you are. And I want you right now to just stop for a moment and go, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's it. I'm a disciple of Jesus. That's it. 
And to think about these concepts from not a senior pastor, but to think about it from simply being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen? Can we do that? Because sometimes we want to jump right to, I have to do this for my church. I have to make this happen. And we think organizationally, and we bypass the fact that this has to be absolutely personal to you. Do you value being a disciple and making disciples? Are you living that out personally in your life? Because what that pastor saw that day was a relationship that two guys had that were living in in the church and experiencing the kingdom of heaven together in ministry. And it just, it rocked him. My wife and I, a couple of years ago, had the opportunity to plant a church there outside of Houston, Texas. And just over a year ago, I was, I was preaching and I looked in the back of the room and there was a new couple in the church and, and they were sitting back there and this guy, I've got to know him since his name's Bear and everything about that is true about him. There's this great, big, burly dude, big beard, the whole deal. And his wife and, and they were sitting in the service and they both were just in tears, crying, both of them through the whole service. And I went up to him afterwards and I got to know their story and he's a former uh, children's pastor. And I got to hear their story about why they ended up in our church. And they'd been in a church for almost 18 years. And one day, his wife, who helped out in the children's ministry, a woman comes up to her and goes, man, I'm so sorry. I can't believe this has happened. And she says, what are you talking about? Oh, oh you don't know. Know what? Oh, and she just walked away. The pastor had just announced from stage that their children's pastor was let go. Her husband. Devastated him, obviously. And those kinds of stories continue to happen. And I hear about these things in the church that happen. Somebody that did not grow up in the church, much like Luke. And I hear these things and I think about these concepts of spiritual maturity and to hear what happens and goes on in the church. And, and, and we live in this time to where there is knowledge and head knowledge, but relationally it's very broken. Whether Bear was right or wrong or any of those things, it doesn't matter to me. It's how it was done. And the relationships that exist in the church. And I go, we have to understand if we're going to change disciple making in church in America and what it looks like and living out the message and method of Jesus Christ, it has to start with us, the leaders personally that we live it out growing in our love for one another. So we value that, building that culture in the church so that I could sit down with Bear over lunch after lunch after lunch and be curious and get to know him and hear his story and how did he get to where he was and care about who he is and begin a process of restoring he and his wife back to where they even want to be in the church again. See, Paul writes this letter in Philippians. And he's talking about how much he loves these people and how much he cares about them. And then he goes on and he says, may your love abound more and more with a knowledge and discernment. 
And we and I look at that. I was even thinking of it this morning that we've taken this concept of knowledge that if we know more and more, if we're head knowledge, should we have knowledge? Absolutely. But if we can know all of these facts and these great things and quote scriptures and all those things, but if we are not growing more and more in our love, we've missed the whole heart of God, haven't we? And in fact, I believe Paul, what Paul's talking about is knowledge, not just a head knowledge, but a knowledge of knowing those around you and knowing the Lord, knowing them, having a knowledge of knowing them. So some of the things that I want to give to you are like practical, specific things about building a culture in your church, with your staff, with your teams, within your home, within your home that maybe will help you start to get your mind around and go, how do we help people? How do we build a culture towards spiritual maturity? How do you build an environment in your church where a former youth pastor or children's pastor would be able to come in and get healed up from the damage that's been done in the church? Right now I have five ex-former senior pastors in my church plant. Five. It's unbelievable. God's sending them to me that have just been completely wiped out by the church. And, and some of them will admit, I, I created that culture. I'm a victim of the, own, the culture I created because they didn't understand the very things that we're talking about. That if we don't change this and do something different, the road that we're on is, is awful. So here's some things to think about. First and foremost for you, number one, are you abiding in Christ? Are you abiding in that relationship? Luke talked about it at the very, at the very beginning. Are you abiding in this, in this relationship with Jesus to where your walk with Jesus is, is not professional? That you're just checking boxes. In John 15, it talks about that you abide in Christ, but it's not just with him personally, that I'm also abiding in the body. That you have relationships with other believers that can look at you and know you and speak into your life and wonder if you're doing okay. How is it that the, the, the number one issue in ministry today is loneliness? How does that happen? Loneliness. We're Christians. We should be the least lonely people in the world. The number one complaint from pastors is loneliness. We've got to change that. That's one of the things people ask me, Pastor, how are you doing? I can tell them a lot of different things that I'm struggling with my life. Loneliness is not one of them. But if we're abiding in Christ and abiding with each other, that we have that relationship, we begin to grow in the knowledge of Christ and grow in the knowledge of those around us. Do you know your people? Do you know the struggles of those on your team? So first is abiding in Christ. Second is that you promote relationship. And here's what I mean by that. I had a person come into church last Sunday, brand new. God, I was getting to know them. And they said, well, I actually can't come to your church. I said, okay, why? He says, I have major issues with your associate pastor. He and I got in a fight in another church several years ago and I can't come back. I said, that's unfortunate. I said, what would it look like for you to go sit down and actually work through it instead of running away? 
What if you sat down and said, hey, here's how you hurt me, and here's the problems? I said, I promise you he will engage in that conversation. Well, I don't think he will. I said, just try. Work through it. Don't quit. Don't walk away. It's not an option to quit and walk away. In order for us to abound more and more in love and to know each other, to be in that relationship, to have the knowledge of I have to promote relationship. If my staff is not getting along, they know what I'm going to say to them. You better go sit down and work it out. You're not allowed to quit. One of my close friends in the church is deeply wounded in the church. He'll come to me and go, man, I'm really struggling with these things. And it allows us to talk it out. Do you promote relationship? When there's conflict, push people to work through it. Is it okay to talk about your differences and struggles in the context of your teams? Promote it. Talk about it. Share where you struggle with it. It has to start with you. And the last part that I've learned that I would give to you about spiritual maturity is be curious. Be curious. Be willing to go and get to know those people around you. Ask questions. Learn and listen to the people around you. Be curious with your kids. Be curious with your staff. How's your walk with Jesus today? What's God teaching you? How are you struggling with the Lord right now? See, what allowed me to help Bear and his wife through their struggles is I went to him and I stayed curious. There were several times we had coffee, we had lunch, where all I did was sit and listen to him. Let him process some of that. Challenging him to go back. Two weeks ago, one of his dear friends from that old church passed away. And he said, Brandon, I can't go back to the funeral. He says, I can't do it. All those people are going to be there. I said, you can do it. He says, I don't want to. I said, no, you don't. But you got to go. I don't know if I can. You can. You got to start at some point reconciling this. I got there because I was able to stay curious with him, promote relationship, help him to walk with Jesus in a different way. Spiritual maturity comes when we decide to build the culture, when it starts with us. It starts with us. Amen? All right. Thank you, Brandon. Great job. We give a round of applause. Yeah, stay up here. Yep. Love it. Great question. Is your church, is our church known for fighting for relationship? Do we have a culture that is known for fighting for relationship and working it out. I know this as a, as a non-Christian. How did I view Christians? How do, how do non-Christians view Christians? Keep going. What, what? Throw some words out. Judgmental. 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 Yeah, critical, hurtful. Hey, Joel. Hey, buddy. Yes, so you can see that somewhere the church has missed the and misdefined maturity and completely removed relationship out of it. And God and Jesus are saying, it needs to be a 10. If, if my relationship with Jesus is supposed to be a 10, my relationship this way should be a 10. If I'm only a two this way, I'm probably a two this way. True? All right. Can I say one thing? Yep. I want you to notice that, that guy, Bear, 
been in ministry for a long time, right? You think he knew the scriptures on do not let the sun go down on your anger? Do you think he knew the forgive one another from the heart? What, did, what is discipleship? It's not just informing them. It's helping them live out the passages. See, what we think discipleship is, I've got to preach a sermon. It was some new way to do this story because my people have heard this so many times that I've got to come up with a new twist. I've got, got to say it in a different way because they're bored. They've heard this before. The real test of Christianity is not whether you've heard the story before, but whether you actually can live out the principle of the story and whether you're doing it. See, discipleship is about not being a hearer of the word only, but being a doer of it. So to expect people, to expect yourself to say you're sorry when you're wrong and not blame the other, to not be defensive when somebody has the courage to come and tell you that they're upset with you. To not say we're an organization first, we're a family first, organization second. To be the church is different than knowing about the church. And what Brandon did was he set the uh, uh, expectation of we're actually going to do the hard thing. How many of you were amazed when you heard about the story of Shadonke uh, being willing to die for his faith? Were you guys inspired by that? But we're not willing to ask for forgiveness or forgive. We're talking about all that. We're not willing to do the simple thing that's hard for us by saying we're sorry or letting somebody else, looking past somebody else's fault or we're dealing with our offense. Listen, God wants us to do what's in front of us. If it means dying, great. But there's a lot of people who are willing to die for Jesus. I think they think they are, but they're not willing to live for him every single day in relationship. That's discipleship. Mm. Love it, Jim. Love it. We're going to uh, move to our Q&A session. I'm going to introduce Bob. But before I do, I want you to see on your table, you have uh, uh, two things. You have those blank cards for questions. So I want you to be filling that out. Also on your table, we have this. I'm going to talk a little bit more about it in a minute. But this next step, if you have any interest in some of these items, uh, we will contact you on these things. So I'm going to list them off. If you're interested in a church planter boot camp, uh, we do a, we do a six-day uh, training. It's hands-on, trained and done by our church planters. So if you're interested in that, it'll also be some information in the in, the, in this booklet. The booklet, the dates on here, we had to move them back a week, so it's the first week of February. So if you see the dates on there, it's incorrect. Um, there's also a, a church elder learning community. So here's what we're doing. We do a, uh, we get so many questions from elders of like, man, how do you create this disciple-making culture on the eldership? And where does the, what should the elders decide on? And what should the staff? And there's tension. It's, we, we get so many questions on that. We started a a learning community that we're going to be doing. So if you're interested in that, there's more information about that. You can check it out, rdn1.com. The Disciple Shift 1, it's a two-day training. What that is, is we, we did a lot of these conferences, and what would happen is we would do the conference, and then we'd start getting emailed to death. Okay? And so we thought, man, we need to do something to be helpful. How can we help? So we created a two-day training. The two-day training isn't like a normal training. Here's how we do it. We actually invite the churches that we've worked with over the years to come and help facilitate. So it makes no sense from a business perspective or even from a normal conference perspective. We bring in 20 to 30 leaders across the United States. We don't pay them anything. 
We say, would you, if God's done an amazing thing in you, in your church, and in your community, would you, on your own dime, come here and invest in other leaders that are interested in figuring this out? So they do. That's our discipleship one two-day training. And it's all in small groups experiential. It's not talking heads. That's why those leaders come to help lead small groups, because most people have never seen a small group that's about discipleship. So we model it so you actually get to see it rather than just talk about it. Yep. And so has anybody here been to the DS1, Disciple Shift 1? Cool. But what do you guys want to share, what it, uh, why you came and what it was like? I have no idea what you'd say, but I, I mean, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> Come on. Anybody want to share? Oh, I like it. Well, we got one taker. Now, I don't know what you're going to say, but pr pr be nice. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we... Uh... We got together with our uh, church staff and looked at what, what we needed to do differently. And uh, I guess the main thing was, was relationships and how we needed to, to build relationships in our staff, relationships in our, um, in our church. And our uh, pastor at the time, he said, uh, he said, I was supposed to go to this conference in Illinois, and I really didn't want to go, but I kind of got guilted into going. I was supposed to read this book uh, before I went, and uh, I can't remember the name of the book, and I reached in my backpack, and I just finished reading Church as a Team Sport, and I held it up, and I said, is this a book? And he said, that's the book. Where'd you get that? And uh, so I told him how God had been leading me to start doing relational discipleship groups in our church and he said well they're going to do another training in Illinois let's go to that so we went to that and and it completely changed the way that I view ministry uh, I, I had a real um, kind of a, a moment where I thought, God, have I just wasted years of ministry because I've been focusing on stuff instead of people. And I've been focusing on facts and figures instead of transforming lives. And uh, so uh, I was a youth pastor at the time, transitioned into a discipleship pastor and doing small groups. And that the training that we got from Real Life Discipleship is what got that started in my church and in other churches that I talked into coming to the, the training with me. Good awesome. choice on that one. Hey, thank you. <laughs> awesome. Pay, pay you later. First pay time later. for everything. That's yeah, good, that's dude. right. That's right. No, thank you. We're hoping for that kind of outcome. We're uh, really hoping to model the love of Christ and how he made disciples. So we do, do it in a small group, two days. And we invite in practitioners, people that are passionate about making disciples this way. And so uh, thank you for sharing that. Thank you very much. So if you're interested in the back of that booklet is uh, different dates and uh, more information. And if you don't sign up quick, we, we limit it to around 75 liters to 100 liters because we throw so many different uh, facilitators at it that we need to know ahead of time. So we cut registration off and we bring in about 20 different people from across the country. Because it's all experiential. If it gets bigger than what we can experience, then it becomes talking head and it's actually contrary to what we believe about real discipleship in relationship. Right. So we, so we don't have a group over 10 people. And so we put two facilitators per group. So it's, uh, it's pretty intensive. So if you're interested, that's a great next step. All right. Um, let's see. Oh, also on this sheet of paper here, the one that uh, has options. If you're interested, we're going to continue Q&A next week. We're going to do just a live uh, webinar with uh, Jim. And so it'll be 12 o'clock Pacific time. We're not announcing that. If you're interested, fill this out, and we'll send you back a, a link. And uh, next, next Wednesday, 12 o'clock Pacific. 
specific time, we'll continue Q&A because we won't get to all the questions. So if you're interested in that, fill it out, let us know. And so, awesome. Bob Reed. Wow. Wow. What I love about Bob is we're all friends, so we're all, it's hard for us to not rib each other, but we got so much feedback that it, that it, it, it was like, man, you guys are pretty ruthless to each other. We're like, man, that's fun. So we don't do it anymore, but it's hard for me not to, with, especially with Bob. Um, so here's what I love about Bob. Uh, Bob came from a, uh, a traditional church. He went to a riverside in Florida, and that church is maybe a 100-year-old church. And then uh, he went to a DS1 and was super competitive to walk this out. And so what I love about Bob's story, he'll share more of it in the next session, but he had to turn an existing church, a hundred-year-old church. And if Bob can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> I'm just, I have a gift of encouragement. I don't want to, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And so what I love about Bob is that uh, he, he was there for eight years, helped, helped shift that church. And it's cool to see the, the, what happened and what God did there and what Jesus did there. And now he has uh, felt called to work with another church, kind of in a similar position, wanting to go in this direction. And so uh, now Bob is at uh, the Met uh, Cyprus in, in Houston. And so Bob, it's a pleasure having you here. And I appreciate uh, your perspective of having to shift an existing church. And so as we're flagging these questions, um, each one of you jump in whenever you want. And so who has some questions? We're going to collect these cards and uh, we're going to move them up front and I'm going to cipher through them. So raise your hand and Jason is going to come by and grab some of these cards. We'll try to get to many as we can. I'm going to start off this first question. How do you motivate your disciple making groups to multiply and try to answer it as best as you can. We're going to try to flag the questions that fit for the sessions. So that might be a little bit later session, but we'll answer it now because it's the first question we got. So fire away. I think first is the power of testimony, um, keeping it in front of your people. We will um, uh, interview those. Uh, we'll, we'll capture it on video, the testimonies of people that are branching groups, the people that have been impacted by dis by being a disciple and making disciples. And so we talk about it um, all the time from, from the stage, from every, all of our communications from our church. And so I think it keeps people motivated and inspired to hear about the life change and about the new, grant, uh, new groups that are branching and forming. Um, so that's one of the things that we do. Yeah, a little bit similar. Uh, you know, you celebrate what you want repeated. And so one of the things that we do a lot is talking about stories, talking about testimonies of transformed lives. And one of the big values that we have is that if if God has called us to make reproducible disciples, for you to stay in the same small group and not reproduce is actually unhealthy. And so, um, so for, you know, when we've had folks, especially at the church, when I was a senior pastor at the church in Florida, um, and people had come uh, to our church that said, hey, I've been in this Sunday school class for 25 years and all that stuff and, and then asking them, one, how was that? And then two, um, how many disciples did you ever make? And it was zero. Um, again, we've, we've, allowed, we've allowed the church to be comfortable with sitting and soaking and never exercising their faith and never pursuing what Jesus called them to. And we've, we've, we've really um, projected or raised the level of importance of knowledge, which there is a value for that as you know, as even as Brandon was talking about, just understanding who God is and who people are. But if we're not living this stuff out, then 
you know, what is our faith? And so that's, that's a big way that we've done. We just continue to challenge people that we've got to be reproducing. If we're not, we're dying. There is a tension because most people who have been in church have never had relationships. And now you get them into small groups and they actually start building relationships. And so now if you're not careful, you're telling them they finally got what they always wanted and they're really growing. And now you're going to branch their group. You're going to take it away from them. And there is a tension. It's like two wings on a plane. How do you preserve family? which the church should be a family. If you keep branching groups all the time and they don't get to stay with the same people, then it, the relationship just becomes a nice idea. So how do you continue to, to preserve relationship, but at the same time open up doors to discipling new people and, and the mission? And so when you branch, you allow uh, them to keep some of that relationship. You might send three couples in one group, two couples in the other, or three couples in the other. That way they, they've got some of their real close friends that do life with them, but you just opened it up to two and three new families to be in there with them. And so you have to walk that tension. And, and second, they're like a person. Just because a person's been a Christian for six years doesn't mean that they're going to go through the spiritual stages of development at the same pace, depending on how hurt they are, how much damage has been done in their life. And so you don't just go, well, you're, you're, you're 30, so you should be a parent. Some 30-year-olds are like 10-year-olds. You don't look at a group that way either. Each group is independent, and you look at that group. Like right now, I have 20 people in my group. Uh, I had a leader that was um, ready to go, but he had a tragic accident where he lost his leg, and now he's been through six surgeries in the last year. And therefore, and then my, my, the other guy that I thought would be leading is going through a real tough place in his marriage. I can branch the group because we're supposed to do that, but if I don't have good DNA to spread to the next group ready, then I just branched an unhealthy group. So, there's a, so we're going to branch... But God's going to have to show me someone ready to branch or the group I just sent off is going to get an unhealthy situation because the leader is not ready to reproduce biblically and godly maturity. Make sense to you? That's good. Next question. These are all really amazing questions. Uh, please comment on caring for the poor and the marginalized as part of spiritual maturity. Um, here's, here's some of the things that I believe about that. First of all, um, if, you're, if you're walking with Jesus, how do you not care for the poor? And the, That's an abiding problem. Um, but now, some, there are some ways to, that you um, care for the poor better than others. For instance, um, one of the problems, we, st we, we feed about 2,000 people a month in what's called our Lifelines Ministry. Uh, it's, it's being led by a paid staff member who has about 30 volunteers. We call them pastors of the day. They're volunteers. They're, they're, um, they lead small groups. They're all in small groups, but they, they're retired. So they come down and we do financial counseling, job training, and we have a huge feud room. We have so many people that we had to start a thrift store that became an economic engine because it was taking up so much money, right? And, and so we feed the poor. Some things you can do better together. That ministry would not be in effect if we weren't collaborating energy, money, all of that. But at the same time, we want our life groups to each adopt some way to minister to the community. We want our, there are some things that happen best one-on-one. -on -one. If I go to Walmart and there's somebody there and I meet in the parking lot that's hurting, I help them personally. I don't send them down to real life ministries food room. 
if our home group finds out about somebody in their neighborhood that's hurting, the life group comes together and we're serving. When you're generous and your eyes are open, you serve in every possible way. And then you can also collaborate together to do something in the community that you couldn't do by yourself. Make sense to you? So you're, it's a matter of, of, of not allowing... Uh, you know, I remember not long ago, I came to the life, uh, to the Lifelines Ministry. It's in our, it goes out on our, our front door, and people were, there was a line, and there was a, somebody that I knew was in a home group, a life group. And I, I said, why are you in this line? And they said, well, we're struggling. I go, did you tell your life group about this? He goes, no, I'm embarrassed. I go, you'd rather come down here and stand in line? Get out of that line. You come with me. That lifelines is for people who are not connected to the body of Christ. It's for hurting the community. We help each other in this church. You don't stand in a line. You see what I'm saying? But when the church is doing what they're called on to do, each as individuals, each is in the group, and together collaboratively, you, you care for the poor. You care for the hurting. You're not waiting for them to come to us. You shepherd your community. You're looking for ways to rally your people, resources, and energy outside the walls of your place. You launch an army into a community. You don't wait for them to come to us. We go to them in every possible way. I think it's, I mean, it's the same thing, everything Jim's saying. I think, you know, Bill Hull uh, talks a lot about this, about the gospel that we preach in our churches. And if it is a gospel that is, Jesus' gospel is to go into the world, that that helping the poor and the hurting and, and, and marginalized is, is a result of the gospel that we believe, right? And just like Jim's saying, I mean, it's an abiding issue. If we're abiding in Christ and walking with him, I, I mean, how can we not? care about those folks that are out there uh, around us in our church. Uh, the Lord put us right next to the VA hospital. And uh, how can we not care about the veterans that come in and out of that facility that are, that are hurting? It's a result of the gospel of what it does in us. And it is a go into the world gospel. You know, real practical uh, story. When I uh, was new in my walk, I was in a home group. I had never really helped the hurting or poor because it was pretty much 100% about me, and I was really good at it. So the thought of helping somebody was like, yeah, everybody helps themselves, right? So when it comes to helping the hurting and the marginalized, it was so new thought to have my home group leader who had a, uh, he invest, starting to invest in me wanted to do something as a home group. And I was like, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to go and go and help this family. And we actually listed out a lot of projects they needed, and we went and helped them. And I'd never done something like that. And so it was really cool to pray ahead of time, talk about what we're doing as a group, and actually being the church, a small group, going to a house that was really dirt poor and helping them. I had never done that before. So I was like, wow, this whole, this, this is pretty cool. You know, well, then I had more questions like, like tithing. Like, how do you get to where you actually give my money back to the church? See, that's where I was at. So it was really cool. All these little pieces started to come into play over time. It didn't just happen for me. Even if you would have preached it on Sunday, I wouldn't have made the jump from where I was at in my walk with now go help the poor. But it sure was nice to have a process and a system where I could be mentored along the way. Yep. 
Awesome. Okay, how do you uh, move a non-relational church to a relational <laughs> church, <laughs> staff, and congregation? <laughs> Pretty straightforward. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah, gear up. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was, so when I came back from the DS1, I'll, make, I'll try to make this really short. When I came back from the DS1, it transformed my life, um, super convicting to the point where I told the elders um, that this was such a personal conviction that I felt like if I didn't, with the rest of my life, make disciples in relationship, I would be in sin. And so I can't keep doing church the way we've been doing church. Um, and so thankfully, they didn't want me to resign, and so they decided to make this shift. But as I talked to our staff and I talked to our elders, I said, we have nothing to export to the rest of the church unless it starts with us in these rooms. Meaning, not that it's gonna happen Primarily, it's going to happen a lot outside of this room, but it's got to start with us because we have got to choose to be disciple makers. We've got to be a disciple to be disciple makers, but we've got to start walking this stuff out in relationship with one another, being able to have those conversations, being able to care for one another, being able to love one another, being able to sacrifice with one another. Because if it's not something that we're going to go tell the church that they should be doing when we can't even do this together at the leadership table then I don't want people at the leadership table that aren't going to bleed this because then it's no longer your grid when we make decisions. It makes sense? And so it didn't do it perfectly, I can promise you that. But it had to start with me. And, and, I, and I just remember this whole thing with God as he was doing this thing in me. It was like, Bob, I will not be able to do in your, my church, right? Not mine, God's, Jesus' church. I will not be able to do in Jesus' church unless it first starts with me. And he had to literally break me. I remember being in Idaho, coming out to my rental car, and this dead leaf, Brandon was my facilitator, and this dead leaf was on the, on the ground. And God was saying, something in you has to die like that thing. And my value and worth and identity was so wrapped up in being a good leader that it was primary over being a disciple maker, if I'm just being honest. And so something had to die in me to where all I wanted to do was just be obedient to the call of making disciples. And so it started with us creating a culture at the elder level, started creating a culture at the staff level. We started training our adult leaders, but everything was going to be done in the context of relationship or it wasn't worth doing. And that began to have a huge ripple effect in our church over the next number of years to where we were able to really shift a, a hundred-year-old church um, to really valuing and prioritizing the necessity of making disciples in relationship, not in classrooms only. Let me, let me just say this. A lot of times we have people that come to our training that aren't the senior pastor, and they might be in positions where they can't... Um, affect the change that they wish they could. And so here's what I would say to you. Brandon, or, uh, Luke did a great job of asking you to take off your hat as leader for a minute. It was that Brandon who did that uh, and said, I want you to see yourself as a Christian. I would prefer that you don't put on that leadership hat when you go back. I would pre prefer that you decide to be a disciple maker. Don't ask other people to do something that you're not doing. And don't ask them to work through the bugs if you're not willing to work through the bugs. Because especially when you first do something and you haven't had it done in your life, you make all kinds of mistakes. And you just say, hey, I've never done this before. I'm going to try this. Sorry. And you start learning through this and things start happening in your group. 
And, and pretty soon it changes the way you preach, it changes what you celebrate. Pretty soon it, there's a ripple effect that starts to happen that's not organizational. It's not built on marketing. It's not built on sermon series. There's just something different that happens. And then not the whole church. You know, you don't want to just mandate to everybody, You're, we're all going to do this, the end of Sunday school. No. That, that's, you might have the right destination. You'd go the wrong way. You, you, you turn the corner in a ship too quick. You sunk. You never get there. You start with you. And you start making disciples that make disciples. Nobody's going to stop you from organically making disciples that make disciples. But pretty soon people start going, hey, what's going on over there? Because the people are different. People start serving and caring and loving, and, and they're not just checking a box, and pretty soon something starts happening. And then now you, a lot of times we want to organize something that people don't even want yet, rather than giving them the taste of something that makes them go, what's that? That was pretty good. I, I want more of that. And now you've got to organize something that's already happening, rather than mandate something that isn't happening, that people, you see what I'm saying? It's leadership gifting different. So it starts with you. You don't, if your senior pastor won't do it, no one's going to stop you from starting to meet with some people and start to disciple people and learn how to do it. And then ask your guys, hey, why don't you go start another group as we start to, you know, it's organic. And, but it will change your church. It will change you. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Make sure to check out the free primer for the death of discipleship by Jim Putman and Chad Harrington by going to discipleship.org slash relational. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources on our site as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker. Mm -hmm.